Am I going? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going. There's my question. <laughs> Jacob, I do have another question for you. Okay. And that is, what is your favorite quote? <laughs> That's what I want to know. You can do more than one because, you know, you're so prolific and you read so much. But what is your favorite quote and maybe why at the end of that? I have so many going through my head right now. I knew this would be hard. So for that reason, me, I wouldn't have any in my head. So I have a quote from one of my mentors that I say all literally every day. I said it yesterday to somebody because I think it's the best advice I've ever had in my entire life. And it's the right people see the right things. And what that means is don't worry about the perceptions of people that you don't care about, right? The people that don't matter, the people that, you know, they're the peanut gallery. They're the people that want to chime in all the time, but they really have no say in your future or no control over what happens or anything like that. Uh, and it's about, you know, putting your head down, doing good work because the right people in your corner, the people that are doing what you want to do, the bosses that you aspire to be, not the bad bosses, not any of that, but the people that you truly admire, they're going to see that because you see, you, we, we see it all the time, right? You see kindred spirits in people. You're like, you're my, you're my people, right? I see it in new teachers all the time. I'd be like, oh, you're, you know, you're not quite there yet, but you are in this realm. Let me bring you in. And that's something that all people do, right? The people, I think the best people, you know, as they're moving up in the ranks of society, whatever position they're in or whatever, they, they look back and they find the people that were like them kind of early on and they, they kind of guide them along. So I think that would be um, at least number one. One of my favorite uh, quotes is also from uh, Gravity's Rainbow, which is a book from Thomas Pynchon. Um, and it starts with, Hang on. I'm going to hang on. I'm going to try to quote it and I'm going to see if I'm right real quick. <laughs> it is a screaming came across the sky. Let's see if that was right. A screaming came across the sky. I don't know if that's the actual quote. Oh, a screaming comes across the sky. Okay. I was pretty close. I was pretty close. That's how the book starts. Um, oh, it's one wow. of the most difficult novels I've ever read in my entire life. If you've never researched Gravity's Rainbow, do so. It is absolutely wild um, in terms of just writing. Like, it's it's not an easy... Uh, it's not an easy book. So if that's really... Um, Something you're interested in. Uh, another one that comes to mind is Invictus. Okay. Mm -hmm. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments, the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That line is one or those lines, I guess, are some of the stuff I quote all the time. I quote that whole poem to myself all the time. Like I like when I'm going through a really tough time, I'm like, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Like that is <laughs> that's like one of my favorite lines. It is Invictus is it to me the most perfect 
poem of all time. Like, I don't, I don't think there's anything, uh, that compares. I love Emily Dickinson. You know, I'm nobody. Who are you? That's a great one. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh my God. There's so many quotes. Like there's literally so many things that, uh, I adore about, um, just, just these lines. There's a, there's another really good one. I don't actually know (coughs) who, uh, the origin of this quote is, um, but it's uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson is who comes to mind. But I'm pretty sure Carl Sagan might have been the origin of this quote, which Neil deGrasse Tyson was Carl Sagan's or Carl Sagan's was Neil deGrasse Tyson's like mentor. Um, but they talk about how like we are all stardust, right? We are mm-hmm. we are li- like the, the stuff that makes us up is literally destroyed stars that have become aware of itself essentially. And it's such a a very poetic way of looking at the universe. And I got one more for you. Okay. Uh, This one is one that appealed to my teenaged angst. And it's something that to this day, I quote all the time. It's, it's by far my top tier literature quote. I think it is so, I think it hits on so many levels, but it's from Antigone. So we're going all the way back with Antigone. And the quote is, and it's towards the end of the play, and it's, then do not pray anymore. The sky is deaf. And I think that is such a profound line that is so existential and depressing and (laughs) deep and in context, right? You know, for people who haven't Mm -hmm. read Antigone, you know, it's like they just make so many horrible decisions that, you know, it's like no one's listening to you anymore. You have you have (laughs) made the ultimate (laughs) sin. Like there's no there's no getting past this at this point. And so there's nothing listening to you anymore. But I also think there's a philosophical implication to something like that. I think it really captures the human plight at times. And I, I, I think that's, it's really fascinating. There's, there's a lot, um, from great expectations that I actually have to Google to remember because the way he writes is really hard to remember just to be frank. But, um, right. yeah, I don't know. I love all of those. I love, there's a lot of lines. Um, of course, of course, uh, Dickens is famous. Most famous quote, I think, is the best of times, the worst of times. Yeah, it was the best of times. It was probably most, it was the most probably quoted one. It's a a great way to start a story, too. Mm -hmm. Just in general. There's tons of amazing lines in East of Eden, which I've been planning to reread recently. Like, that book is, like, Great Expectations of East of Eden are probably my two favorite novels of all time. I think they, they just change me as a human Every time I read them. Um, yeah, that's what I got. Oh, I got one last one. Okay. Let's go music. Tool, Maynard, James Keenan, song Lateralis. The whole song is, uh, it's written in the Fibonacci sequence. That's how he wrote his lyrics. Oh, wow. Um, mm-hmm. Which is really interesting. Um, they were very into that stuff, very, you know, um, sacred geometry type stuff. But that that song, he ends up saying, spiral out, keep going. So it's basically the whole idea of, you know, the 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 galaxy kind of spiraling. But just keep going. Just keep spiraling out. See where you go. Just keep going. Don't pay attention to to all the little details. Just this is a life and you're on this journey. Just keep going. And I think that uh, I've always liked that that philosophical concept of don't 
you know, you're, you're only here once, you know, you don't, you don't need to stay here and stay in the same stuff all the time and just see where life goes. You know, I think a lot of people ultimately find comfort and stability. And I think people get scared to do different things or think different things or try different things. Um, I think it's sad. I think that's why a lot of people end up in their forties and fifties and sixties regretting stuff. I think you have to eventually take chances. It's a very millennial thought. I've had this thought with a lot of people recently where it's like millennials are kind of criticized for quitting on things, but it's like, you know, I I think it's the strength of my generation is being able to go, you know what? It's time to do something else. It's time to move on. Now, do people do it too often? Probably, right? Let's not <laughs> let's not praise every aspect of it. But, you know, I think it's a I think before my generation and definitely like, you know, when you get to, I guess, the boomer generation, it's very much like, nope, this is what you do. And you you put in your work and you do your time and then you retire and you sit on your porch. You know what I mean? And there's no regrets. This is what life is. And times have just uh changed a little bit so in any case i just that that was the most rambling answer i think i've ever had on the podcast by far (laughs) well i figured you could answer it me i might have might have struggled a little bit however on your thing about facing something every day i was watching the mask singer are you familiar yeah yeah yeah. i've I've never really actually seen it but i've seen like highlights on the internet Oh, well, it's one of those things that I watch when it comes on. But uh, so I was just watching it actually today at some point. And the girl that they had on, she's uh, I can't I can't tell you her name, but um, she's on, um, I guess, the WWE Raw or whatever. She's one of the women that are on there. But anyway, she said uh, that she she was really nervous about coming out because she doesn't sing in front of others. She sings to herself but she's not afraid of the stage she's just afraid of singing and uh so being behind the mask allowed her to do it she had a beautiful voice and so anyway her comment was i was afraid of it and life is too short so we need to do something we were afraid of every day and that was what she told everybody so it kind of goes with a little bit of what you were saying a second ago about the spiral Well, and I think this, you know, weirdly enough, I'm always surprised at how we circle in some of these random things (laughs) to the topic, because, you know, we'll talk about the topic in a second. But that idea of, you know, just facing something right, doing something different like that is that's a uniquely like human quandary. Right. I mean, it's a Mm -hmm. it's a it's the most difficult part of what we do, but it's also potentially the best thing you do. Um is to is to kind of look at the the belly of the beast, so to speak. This is where you start getting. I mean, if you really want to get into it, you know, some of the. I uh, want <laughs> Courtney. You know, one of our our probably our biggest fan of the show. Our just right. You know, she had she had pointed out that we make a lot of biblical allusions on this show, but you know, just some of the the earliest stories in the Old Testament. You know, a lot of those stories are about facing the 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 whale right and about being mm-hmm. swallowed by it about facing something that is insurmount or seemingly insurmountable and being swallowed by it but you end up coming out eventually mm-hmm. right and there's there's so many philosophical implications to some of those um those older stories and and both both good and bad right those stories talk about 
you know, what happens if you face something and you can meet your demise if you try to turn right. to something and and it and might you not depend only on yourself. That's right, right? And there's <laughs> there's divine implications, of course, but there's there's also, you know, the chance of what if you do try to um cross cross water that that shouldn't be able to be crossed right what if what if Mm -hmm. you do have an act of faith to do something that seems impossible um i think i think those things are really interesting i think those are regardless of you're christian or not i think those are um i think there's philosophical things there that are that are that are connected to all of humanity that that resonate with us as we explore i don't know now we're getting biblical hotel we better intro the show (laughs) So anyway, hello everybody, that's Jacob Chastain, philosopher extraordinaire, and I'm Pam Ochoa, and uh, anyway, this is Craft and Draft, so what are we, what are we talking about today, Jacob, and who, who helps us make it happen? Here's the thing, Ochoa, we're talking about today, (laughs) we are jumping in and we're going to be talking about what happens when you give kids voice? How I know we've talked about this topic a lot, but we're specifically we're talking about, you know, empowering kids to make their own decisions, to become their own people. Don't hold them to certain standards necessarily. I'm talking about academic standards, but don't don't try to indoctrinate them into specific beliefs, but give them the tools to think, to explore and to figure out the type of person that they want to be, because truly that is what this is all about. It's about giving kids voice, giving them something to be able to do, giving them something that they can be passionate about that isn't contingent on us. I don't know why people would ever want to stand up in a classroom and try to convince kids to think a certain way when there's so but the diversity of thought is truthfully what we should all be advocating for. Um, and I think there's a lot of people out there who would who love diversity of thought as long as it fits within their diversity of thought. Um <laughs> Sorry for people that aren't paying attention uh, or slash you can't see the video that I'm watching Ochoa on. She pointed herself sarcastically. That's funny. But, you know, I think that uh, we we do these things for these kids to to really give them a platform to do something with and to make something of their lives. Regardless of what we personally believe, we are here to educate, not indoctrinate. So we're going to talk all about that today. But before we get to that, I want to tell you that this episode is sponsored by our wonderful supporters over there on our Patreon who support us all the time. They come over, they get bonus episodes just like you can they get access to us just like you can. They get bonus training videos, our craft and draft process, et cetera, et cetera, early access to trainings and all of that wonderful stuff. And they are Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Nalissa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah, Lori, Jen, and Matt. They show up every single month to support us, to keep the lights on in the podcast and make sure that we can keep doing this for you. So if you want to do that, go to patreon.com slash craft and draft. Join us over there support us get bonus episodes and a bunch of other cool things if you can't do that you don't have any money to toss our way that is okay subscribe so you don't miss anything else we drop podcasts every single friday leave a review if you enjoy this show let other educators know that we are doing a great job and let's get to the conversation all righty mr choa where do we want to start tonight <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, you mentioned at the beginning <clears throat> to give kids tools to think. 
So what does that look like? I mean, tools to think. I mean, um, I had somebody tell me the other day that um, choice really doesn't work and that we need to go back to grammar units in isolation. Literally had somebody tell me that the other day and that we should not give them choice. We should give them prompts only so that we could make sure they were thinking the way they needed to. So my question is, what are tools to think? Yeah, go ahead. That's a perfect example, right? This is where this Mm -hmm. gets muddied. This is where I think that the conversation is really actually interesting because it is, I don't know. Hang on. I'm trying to figure out how to, where I want to go with this because there's a traditional mindset that says, I think we hit on this last episode, maybe the episode before that. Yeah, we probably like, have. I mean, we've definitely talked about this a few times, but the idea of we ed, being educated means knowing very specific things, right? Knowing the fundamentals of science, knowing your grammar, knowing all of these things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. I can agree with all of that. I think that people should have a fundamental grasp of grammar up to a level that they can communicate regularly with the vast majority of people. I think that is true. I think people should understand the fundamentals of the basic sciences. They need to understand physics. They understand biology. They understand chemistry, et cetera, et cetera. I think people should understand mathematics up to the point that it's functional in their life. Also, probably a little bit beyond that, simply because mathematics teaches you how to think, right? And that's coming from someone who hates mm-hmm. math. I can admit that much. Um, like the other day, for instance, can I, can I go on it? Can you remind me to go back to what I was saying? Sure. Okay. So I was, maybe <laughs> I was watching a class. Um, for hang on for people who don't know we're recording this at like 10 p.m which is later than normal so if it <laughs> seems like we're a little rambly that's why welcome to a late night episode of crafted draft anyway so I, I go in i'm watching an algebra 2 lesson right i discovered my love of watching math teachers with you right when we were coaches mm-hmm. it, oh it, what we had a great math teacher too that is true from. that is anyway, true go ahead she's mm-hmm. absolutely incredible but it, it made my love of watching math because I was like, it really is. I mean, math done correctly. Watching Algebra 2 lesson, it is something that really does inspire me when I watch math teachers work because, one, a lot of kids are resistant to math, and some of the concepts require some complex ideas. So you're teaching kids how to think, but truthfully, in this lesson, the one I was watching, um, it was a new concept that the teacher was teaching, and she made it super fun. She made it engaging. She had this really good back and forth with her students, right? And it was, it was all this stuff, but she used, she had like these common languages for certain things, right? You could tell, I mean, it's later in the year, they could tell that you've kind of gone through this process and it was really magical to watch her work because even though they were fun, they were having fun, they were joking. Like it wasn't like this sterile classroom. It was very open. Kids were chatting. Like there was jokes being thrown around. Teacher was throwing jokes. Like they were even acknowledging me, right? They were like, did you know there's an AP in the class? You know what I mean? Like it was, it was just very open that way, which is super cool. Um, and but what's happening is kids were engaged 
and they were, they were really following this lesson. And it just, it made me realize that like, there's, there's so much value in extending learning into, into further things because they were, they were learning to problem solve. They were learning to follow a procedure. Um, but in this really engaging way that, you know, are they going to remember what was really happening in that lesson in six months? Probably not, but are they going to remember the steps that they took, that they had fun learning something that was complex, that they, that their, their stress level was lowered because of the way the teacher was approaching something that was fairly difficult for this group of students. That has value. So when, when we're talking about like, what does it mean to be educated? I think that that social piece, really that emotional piece is really um, super key, right? I think now to go back to the, what my list of stuff, I think people should know the fundamental history, right? Of where they live, their country, et cetera, et cetera. Let's go back. I think that gets construed sometimes though, because if we're talking English, right, we're talking writing, you have, yeah, kids should know how to write a sentence. Why do I have to teach them that through a specific prompt? I think that it's like you have to ask yourself, who is that more for? Is it more for the teacher or for the kid? And I think that's a great question to ask at all times is, is what I'm doing in the classroom, is it easier for me? Does it make my life better as the teacher? Because it's easier to grade, it's easier to follow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's easier to manage. Or is this really what's better for the kid? And I think a lot of the times, especially when we talk about controlling what kids are writing, how they're writing, et cetera, et cetera. I think a lot of times it goes into the realm of it's just easier for the teacher and that's why they do it. I don't know. What do you think? Anyway, uh, so yeah, that, that question is something that I have asked over the years with, uh, you know, being a, a trainer of teachers, right. And trying to teach, especially back in the nineties when all this stuff was a little bit newer than it is today, as far as the idea of workshop, but teach and, and having, um, a, a teacher as a facilitator, because, uh, in the eighties, everybody was moved. Most of the time, most of them were moving out of that realm of just standing up there and giving the information. And then you, all you do is regurgitate the information back to the teacher. And, uh, so that was definitely a question I had asked, you know, what is, are you doing that because it's better for the kid or better for the teacher? And <clears throat> answering that question for myself um, what I have discovered over the years is that when I make it for the student, I actually enjoy it more because I'm not reading the same exact paper over and over and then going to sleep while I'm grading. I now can stay awake while I'm grading <laughs> all those papers because they're not first, this, second, that, third, that, and in conclusion. And so... So anyway, it's just really interesting. And I've had some over the years, had some really interesting takes and some great stories and some great poems that these kids have written and uh, they enjoy it. And so to me, it it is better for you to think, is it better for the t kid or is it easier for me? Why am I actually doing this? Uh, what I have also discovered 
is if somebody you were talking at the beginning about knowing your people or my people or what have you, you know, you know, when you're with a group of colleagues that believe in the same way that you do, like you and I do, um, it's, it's easier uh, to go ahead and, and do what you're doing. I think what happens is we find ourselves often on an island. I was talking to our partner the other day, you know, the one that we used to work with together. And, you know, the the school has separated us because they wanted a good teacher, what they consider a good teacher. Uh, she is a great teacher, but they have at least one where, you know, one of our people, if you will, at each grade level. And not that the other teachers are bad or anything. They just don't have the same philosophy. Does that make sense? It's not exactly the same. And so we were talking the other day about how it's lonely because you're by yourself. And when you share an idea, they kind of look at you and go, and, mm, I'm safer with my prompt. Thank you. And it's, and I, they don't really say that, but that's, that's the opinion I have. And it's been like that over the years. I mean, this has been going on in my life for 30 years. And that is being placed with team members that don't see, you know, it, it is easier for them. It's easier to just give them that worksheet, give them, you know, the assignment, give them the prompt, give them the book to read. Let's all read it together. Let's just put them on an audio and then let's let them just hold the book in their hand, close it, whatever, put it in their lap, not even get it out of their backpacks, whatever. And then we're just going to read the audio or listen to the audio as a whole group. And then tomorrow we'll listen to the audio again and then we'll do our little book project and kids have no idea what they read because they weren't reading. And so those are the kinds of things that are easier for the teacher. And I don't know if that is where giving, I don't know if, if that is at all giving them tools to learn, to be honest. I, I think when we give them choice, as you know, this whole, I know everybody knows that I'm a big proponent of choice, but giving them choice, letting them, like you said, find their voice, explore, uh, give them something to think about is really where the learning happens. But I think, though, that also raises the rigor, which a lot of times is kind of scary to go into because how do you, if everybody has a different problem because they're doing a different type of assignment, if you will, then it's pretty scary for a teacher because how, what, what happens if, if I, if I can't help them? Anyway, what do you think about that? So let's go back to math real quick. And I want to do okay. this because it's different, right? And mm -hmm. I like the idea of talking about this because math teachers are faced with working with kids who predominantly dislike their content, I would say, right? They it's it's very difficult, it can be confusing, and even like I said at the beginning of the show, the the kids in the class were like, I don't get this. I don't get this. I don't get this. Right. <clears throat> but it's trusting the process. Right. Mm -hmm. The teacher in question trusted the process was going through, was making these jokes, was having fun, was was interacting with these kids in a way that made them engaged. And by the time they made it through their notes, they made it through this process by question three. And then definitely by question four. Guess what was happening? 
kids were thinking about things. They were being connected to it. They were able to do a good chunk of what they were being asked to do. Right. And that right there is, I, I think the interesting piece when we start talking about rigor, when we start talking about moving kids in the way that they need to, it's about meeting them where they are, but it's also about trusting the process. I mean, how many times do we say that Ochoa? We talk about trusting the process, trusting where this goes. And when you really talk about rigor, you, I mean, we, we know this, <clears throat> sorry, we say this on the show all the time. Rigor is, is probably the most understood term, right? The, the quote to go back to a favorite quote, right? Rigor doesn't mean rigor mortis. It's not, it's, it's not supposed to make your lessons dead. It's not supposed to d destroy the engagement piece of stuff. Um, and so when we, when we really talk about rigor, it's like, I mean, making choices, messing up, letting kids fail, letting kids struggle. Um, teacher, what's easier for teachers to do, right? What's easier for the teacher to guide them along so they get the answer correct and to and to go lockstep so they meet the deadlines? Or is it easier to let kids fail and have this messy area where some kids are finishing and some kids are not? Which one's easier? Of course it's easier to do lockstep all the way through, right? It makes mm -hmm. grading easier. It makes all of this stuff easier. And that's where the writing process has happened, where it's like, okay, today we're going to do this. Today, tomorrow we're going to do this together. Um it comes from a place of needing more control or thinking you need more control. And I think I don't, I don't, I don't want to fully blame teachers on that, right? Some of this is the system. It's the system of grades. It's the system of report cards. It's the system of six weeks, okay. nine weeks, semesters, all that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but anyone who's willing to put in the work can subvert that a little bit and allow for that flexibility. You just have to build in the time. You have to build in time for the messiness of what rigor looks like. And for me, and I'm sure in different contexts, you know, if you're learning like really high level math at the high school level, or if you're really doing AP studies in English, um, that rigor is going to look a little different because you have to hit certain things. You have to be able to read certain things. You have to be able to decipher certain things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that's a really small portion. That's not even our audience, right? For the most part. I don't think we have a lot of right. AP teachers with us. Maybe there are. If there are, you should email us. Let us know what your thoughts are. Yeah, yeah. But the vast majority of people were middle school, elementary. And so if you want those, like those kids, really, that time frame, right, that from third grade to eighth grade, that sweet spot is letting kids struggle, giving them the time to really struggle with your content, to struggle with what it means to write, to think, to read, to process, to inference, to synthesize. And let them be involved with that. I've always said that, like, I think a lot of kids just don't even understand what it means to read a novel, right? They don't understand what it's mm -hmm. like to, yeah, novels get boring sometimes. Not every page is incredible, but sometimes an author might have this amazing buildup for 10 pages that might be boring quotes that it leads to an amazing payoff on, by page 12. Right. That's true. And... That is something you only experience <clears throat> or like a mid novel slump or a mid novel twist. Like you can't teach that. You can only get that in experience, which is where the classroom novel comes from. Right. We right. want to walk kids through that process. We want them to do that stuff, which is fine. 
But if you only do that, you have too many training wheels on. But it comes, I think it comes from a place truly of we we want to get to a place we feel like we have to guide them, but you know, I just I don't know. I just I don't I don't know. Maybe maybe let's be fair for a little bit. What are things that we have to guide kids through? Is there anything that we absolutely have to guide them through, Ochoa? Um that we have to guide them through? Um I actually guide them through the idea of the process of learning itself. Um, my strategies, if you will, like the brainstorming and other things that I do are open-ended enough that it shows them how to discover a topic or discover what they want to read. Does that make sense? Yep. But I don't make them read a particular type of book. I mean, maybe not type of book, but, a, you know, when they have self-selected reading, it is really self-selected reading. And you you see the kids who have not had that opportunity and then they were told, nope, we all have to read this reader. We all have to read, you know, whatever. And, um, or this packet or this, you know, what have you. Mm -hmm. And so when it's time for them, like for me uh, to say, okay, now today you're going to get, we're going to go to the library and pick whatever book you want but I just need to see what you're reading because, you know, I'm kind of keeping up with what you're reading. And they'll go, they'll come up to me and they'll like have a, a book that might be teaching them how to draw or teaching them how to do something that they really want to do. And they'll go, is this book going to be okay? And you can always tell when they're not, they're not yeah. used to getting to read really what they want. And I'll go, sure. And they're like, are you, are you, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, anything you want. When I say anything you want, anything you want. And so the kids will, um, I mean, it's just kind of fascinating to watch them work through that process because they'll also go, well, I don't know what I want to read. I don't really read. And now you're telling me to find a book of my own choice. And I don't know how to do that. Well, so I need to guide them in how to find a book of their choice. So what I do is I, I throw it out there, if you will, and then I discover who can't. And then I go and that's when I start to guide. Um, I have students that are in special ed in my classes, and they have really been, you know, because of their, their disability, et cetera, they've really been walked through to the point that they don't you know, or, or we have to give them their written notes. We have to give them certain things. I say, don't give it to them first. I'm not saying they're not going to get it. See what they can actually do and then dive in to help them. Um, you don't know if you can swim until you actually try to swim. You know, you can find out real fast, but you don't go swimming without a lifeguard, right? Because you got to have somebody jump in and save you. And, um, and so that's, that's what, what I try to do. So I guide them in grammar, even um, just the other day that my kids, we have a lot of Spanish or well, actually different kind of languages, right at our school. And there, I have a lot of those kids that are learning, you know, English is not their first language. So the one thing that hangs them up more than anything are verbs and how to conjugate the verbs in English. And so we're now looking at irregular verbs. So we're, I'm walking them through that just a little bit. 
because I've noticed in their writing, they're not using their past participles correctly, or they're not using their present participles correctly, especially on the irregular verbs. So this is something that I've seen. So guess what? I'm going to do a lesson over that because they're struggling in that area. But it wasn't until I didn't just say, I'm going to teach this to everybody. I've actually assessed them and I've actually read their writings. And because of that, I realized what they need to do. Um, and so I'll walk them through that and then I'll let them, now you try it on your own or I'll show them one. Now you imitate this until you get it right. And then, you know, so I do things like that. Is that what you mean? Or I don't know. Yes. I, tr trying to find ideas to write about at the beginning. They don't know how to do that. They don't. So right. I actually, based on my research with Nancy Atwell, cause you know, I love Nancy Atwell and Donald Graves. And those are probably my two number one and Linda Reef and, you know, you know, all the people I listen to, I read. But the thing is, is way back when, when she did topic finding ideas, right? Like the heart map is hers. Other people like to take it, but it's really hers. And so that's an example of, of uh, helping them figure out topics that they can write about. So they, they have to be able to know that what they, what they have to, what they are thinking about and what they're interested in is okay in my room. Because, you know, we've seen lots of teachers teach and I've gone through and I've had to help teachers. And some of the things that I've seen is they'll say, okay, y'all can write about whatever you want. And then they start saying, oh, well, no, you can't write about that right now. Or you can't, you know, in other words, they they don't honor, if you will, or celebrate the individual students' ideas. They start making it their own by giving suggestions that are like, instead of saying, well, have you thought about this way or that way? You know, giving them options. They go, well, you should do it this way. And that's when all of a sudden you're no longer, they're no longer doing their process. You're doing your, their process for them. And you have to be careful, especially when you're new at learning this to not step in and, and uh, answer for them. Cause it's easier for the teacher to go and get that answer because we're on a time constraint and I need, I, can, I don't have time to wait for you to figure it out. I gotta, I gotta go to the next level. So how do you do that? still have the learning going on and still meet the requirements of the scope and sequence that you're expected to do. See that so, right there is, mm -hmm. I think that's the best question, right? I think that's the question mm -hmm. you and I have dedicated our careers to answering. That's true. That's true. And it's, it's not, honestly, the answer depends on the day, right? But that's where, like, that's when I get excited. When people start talking like that, then you know something's cooking, right? You know mm -hmm. that we're getting into some really cool territory in terms of just teaching prowess. When we're, when we are, uh, sorry. When we are looking at, um, when we're really trying to serve a kid in terms of giving them what they need, but also meeting the academic standards, such as holding like even like something simple, right? Holding them to uh, using the language of the standard, right? Using the language of the content of the, the mastery of what we're trying to get them to. But doing it in a way that 
it's like, okay, I want to meet you where you are. I want, I want to connect with you. I want you to, to feel accepted in this classroom. I want you to be seen in this classroom. I want you to be entirely you. I want you to embrace yourself in this space, but I want you to see yourself in this content. What does it mean for you to be in relation to figurative language, right? How does figurative language fit into your life? And I think when you start asking those questions, you start going, okay, so how do I connect? How do I connect this piece that we're trying to make this kid connect to, right? Let's say we're doing Invictus if we're in high school. How do I make Invictus connect to a kid in a way where they see themselves in something that was written hundreds of years ago, right? Mm-hmm. How how do we bridge that gap in any content area i think that is something that master teachers are always thinking about and yeah i mean can you do it every single time with every single kid absolutely not but i think it's that process is really the difference because i think where people go wrong in this conversation um and i i use wrong loosely right i I think they lean too far one way or another. Like, well, I just want kids to be happy and free and all this other stuff. And so there's no academic rigor. Mm-hmm. Then you go the other way and it's like, well, kids got to do this, this and this. And it's two straight lines. So kids never have freedom. So they never connect what they're trying to learn to their real lives. And so there's a, there's this medium ground and it's this constant pendulum swing. It's the same thing that we talk about when we talk about standardized tests. We've never praised standardized tests, but we've talked about the benefits of them. We've talked about using them. We've talked about using that information to inform our more, um, uh, the, the pieces of, of our stuff that might be more anecdotal, but it's that pendulum, that balance. And I think that is the constant battle for teachers, especially teachers who are interested in workshop teaching. Um, because it's, yeah, you know, we love conferencing and we love getting kids to pick their pieces and to pick their novels and to, really go on a journey, so to speak, of understanding themselves through self-expression and literature and figuring out how that all connects. But the master teacher goes, okay, now that I have you, now that you've connected to your writing, now that you've connected to this novel, to this character, to this plot, to this conflict, to the setting, how now I'm going to teach you how this relates to this standard. I'm going to teach you how it relates to what I need you to learn as a human. I think that is that truly is the evolution of somebody who is going, who's trying to teach kids because they love kids and they want kids to be great, but also because they understand the power of, of just having a deeper understanding of, of the, of their content. Um, and I, that's hard, right? That that's really hard. I mean, we've done, uh, this is like episode 130 something like, and we're like, we still, our navig like we've talked about this all the way from episode one in different ways, mm-hmm. right? Like this is mm-hmm. everything we always talk about, but we've done all of these episodes and there's still more to unpack and how to do this. And I think that's why sometimes trainings on this are so complex. And we've talked about all- often that Abydos training is a more like, especially, you know, it's very intensive um, on the writing side, you know, it's a two week workshop essentially. That's it's three weeks. It's three weeks. Sorry. Correct me. <clears throat> it's 12 days. Right. It's 12 days. But and and some people and you've heard this, you're like, oh, well, that's too long. You know, we just want teachers to go in and out. We want them to do a day or something. But if some like not like some of this stuff really does take time. And I, I would argue 12 weeks is too short for what Abydos is trying to do. Well, yeah. When when I actually took it originally, it was 15. 
15 right. days. And it we got, did Monday through Friday. And it was probably shortened by uh, just the, the sheer fact of, of, of demand from what everyone wants, right? Everyone's short, sweet, concise. But I, I, I really do think that there, I think that's why people listen to podcasts, though. I think this is the space that we operate in is where we don't say, hey, you can learn this in five seconds, right? We, we're not making these little, you mm-hmm. know, like these, these posts that say, hey, come learn craft and draft in five minutes and revolutionize your classroom. We're like, no, you need to listen to 130 hours. <laughs> you know, I didn't look at it that way. <laughs> it's a lot of hours. <laughs> it's more than that. I mean, really. And how many? Up to, yeah. Well, Plus bonus I mean, episodes and all the Zoom trainings we've done. Right. It has been quite a bit, hasn't it? There's a lot of Not, I mean. There is. Yeah. Well, the thing is, though, you're right. I mean, this is not there are no shortcuts here. There really isn't. And I think earlier when you asked the question about um, what's better for the teacher, is it better for the student? If it's better for the teacher, it's probably a shortcut. But real learning, there's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. There's nothing. I mean, you have to go through the process. Language, just just think about language. Let's just look at that. You know, you looked at math earlier. Let's look at language. And how long does it take to actually acquire a language in such a way that you are a native speaker? Okay. Um, you know, like you are like a native speaker. Well, unless you're exceptionally gifted. It takes at least a minimum of five years. And we are actually asking our students to learn English and be tested on it in a very short time. But it takes a long time to actually be, you know, a lot of hours, if you will, to learn language. There's no shortcut to learning language. There really isn't. You can learn words and phrases. But to know it, to be able to read it, write it, speak it, you know, and discuss and analyze in it like you're an actual native speaker. Even native speakers don't understand their own languages sometimes as well as somebody studying their language. But it, to really, truly master, master, master a language, it takes it takes years. And so that's what we're asking our students to do. We're asking them to master something that takes years. But yet what we end up doing a lot of times is we shortcut it because of our demands on time and demands from the district, like you said, the scope and sequence, the standards. And so we try to put all of that in about nine months and um, it's, it's kind of difficult. It is. Ochoa. <laughs> it really is. Like you are. What's your deal? <laughs> you were thinking about something else. Like we caught you. No, I'm it, I'm processing truthfully because it is. I, I here's the thing, okay? Mm-hmm. And I think honestly, that's one of my favorite lines. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is there? I, I don't know. It's it's hard. I don't know. I'd be interested to talk to other professions. Maybe that'd be a fun project of mine because I feel like a lot of the stuff that happens in teaching is it's so. He gets dumbed down. And I, I mean that, I don't mean that fully negative, but it, truthfully, there is there is a lot of dumbing down of our profession, um, so to speak, right? And what I mean by that is there's there's a dumbing down of of what training means in teaching, 
there's so much emphasis on strategy and we love strategy. Strategies are great. Strategies are very useful, but there's more to teaching than strategy. There's actual practice. There's procedure. There's philosophy. There's research. There's data driven decisions that you need to make in order to serve your kids the way they deserve to be served. And I think a lot of that gets lost in translation um, when it's like, well, we we just want to send teachers to this PD. And, you know, teachers are the worst at PD sometimes. Right. Because they're like, I don't want to be here. They're you know, they're forced to be somewhere. But truthfully, you know, I I love going to professional development when I know someone like stands up there and they're like, look, this isn't going to be simple. Like you're going to have to sit here and you're going to have to really focus. Right. And now some people are better at it. Like when you watch Penny Kittle and Kelly Gallagher talk, like it doesn't feel like you're going through a rigorous activity, but they they don't fluff it up. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? But then you go to some other things and it's it's really all fluff and it's strategy and it's nice. But our kids deserve better. Um and I think that is, I don't know. I, I, I truly think there needs to be a renaissance of, of professional development for educators. Um, I think podcasting is kind of that podcasting is a li- is more free form though, right? Like the, the people that listen yeah. to us the most like us because they're, they're, they know us at this point and it's like listening to just their buddies down the hallway. Right. We've gotten that right, comment right. before. So it's not quite that, but, um, I think that there's room for really high level PD that pays homage and not even homage that really does honor the depth and complexity that some of this teaching stuff requires that you, you really have to go in deep and, and think critically about this and, and understand what you're doing and also be a reflective practitioner, right? Like, like be able to do something walk away and go, okay, so that worked. Why this didn't work? Why? And then move forward from that. But it's, I don't know. I feel like we, we, we have such little time to do that in education that it, it's really up to leaders, um, district leaders, curriculum writers, et cetera, to build that in. So, so people have, so that teachers can do that. Cause it's, it's unfair to say, Hey, teachers do all of this, all of this when they're, I mean, they're working bell to bell. They're doing all this, they're doing all of that. There's not a lot of time for that. I have sympathy for that. I really do. Um, luckily, well, Oh, go ahead. No, you're good. Luckily. I was gonna say, luckily, like I'm, I'm, I've worked at a school and I'm at a campus now where we build that in. Like we have, we have time for teachers to really plan with each other and work with each other and think and, um, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm there to talk about their data. And we just did this data meeting with the district where me and the district and teachers all sat together. We, we talked about the data, we analyzed it, we asked questions, we clarified and everyone walked away feeling better. Um, that I'm in a very fortunate position to be in that. Not everyone's in that, right? A lot of our teachers that listen to this are like, they're on little islands. They don't have, the resources or the team members or the district personnel or the the administrative personnel to really even know what they're talking about. Like a lot of people listen to shows mm-hmm. like this and listen to us because they're like, Oh, these people actually, you know, like they're, they're people that live the same life. There's no one else in my building who talks this language. And that that's a hard place to be. Well, that's what, yeah. And that's what I was saying earlier is that, you know, our friend and I, we were talking about how lonely that is that you really are an Island. Uh, what I was going to say about PD, professional development for teachers, what I've noticed 
And this is, I'm having a, well, I'm a little bit rebellious, but don't tell anybody. I don't want anybody to know that. I but, knew uh, I liked you. <laughs> but here's what's happening right now in the PD that I've been experiencing. Because, uh, you know, for all, for about 30 years, I'm the one who's usually giving the PD, right? And so uh, we have we have everybody is new. And so I'm no longer being asked to give the PD. And so now I'm having to sit there. And what I've actually noticed is they're just giving us more stuff to do in the classroom. The PD is how to run this this new program that you now need to do for 10 minutes. Oh, and don't forget, now the next one that we have to go to is another program that's going to take eight minutes. And then, oh, wait, the other one we're going to is a vocabulary program that we're going to do at the beginning of every five minutes of our class. Well, I start thinking about that. I've already lost, especially if I, I'm fortunate that I have a blog, right? But are my eighth grade teachers, they don't have a blog and they're having to do every, they're asking them to do more, but that's what the PD is about is about, this is what I want you to do and add it to your lesson plan. And we're going to be checking your lesson plan to see if you're putting this in here. And now we're going to do a walkthrough to make sure that we're seeing evidence of all these things that you're doing. And what's actually happening is the teachers aren't getting better at their craft. They're just getting better at running a bunch of stuff that's scheduled along the way. And now their lessons have become choppy. We're no longer doing workshop and we're busy trying to do that strategy. I think that's what you're talking about with strategies. It's like you have to do this particular strategy and you have to do it every time you read. Yep. And it's not natural. Mm -hmm. uh, the one that comes to mind is Colleen Beers and Robert Probst. And that is... Um, Notice and note. No, no, yes, thank you. Notice and note. And you will sit there and talk to Colleen Beers and she's saying this is not how it was supposed to be implemented. These are just conversations that our students have as they read, and we want to be aware of them as teachers so that we can help pro help them through that process of navigating uh, the reading in such a way that they can understand what they're reading. It's not, let's stop, and on every book we ever read, we have to, we have to note, you know, whatever it is. You know, there's several of those strategies. This is just something they observed that students did and the students that couldn't do it, they came up with a way to help them, you know, to, to enter into that part of the reading. And they, it's not implemented, but I'm going through a PD saying I have to implement it this way. And then I'll listen to Kylie Beers and Robert Probst and they're sitting there going, this isn't what we intended. So, you know, so my rebellion is I'm doing it the way Kylie and like, I know them, I actually have met her. So I, I, I don't know if that counts, but anyway, Miss Beers. Yeah. So anyway, but Miss Beers and uh, Probst, you know, I'm doing what they want, but this other stuff I'm working in when I can, but my rebellion is I'm not changing from, and we were, we were going to talk about tools to think you mentioned voice and passion and diversity of thought. I know how to get those in and that's through workshop. That's through choice. That's through time to do the work, time to explore, letting them know who they are. And I think before we came on, I was telling you and 
Penny Kittle and Kelly Gallagher talked about writing identity. I got it worked in there. But anyway, but that the whole idea of their own identity. Five minutes. (laughs) You're welcome. But the whole point is that's what that's what workshop that's what this our process does and the the craft and draft because you know you and i we've really faced this and we had to help our our own teachers and that's why we did the craft and draft just so that we could have this open-ended place for the students to explore but yet tight enough so that we can make sure we're running the scope and sequence and the standards that are required of us But the PD that I'm getting right now is not how do I work within workshop and get these kids to be thinking on their own, right? It's more like, well, we don't, well, honestly, I'm really kind of not happy about some of it, to be honest. (laughs) And that is, I just now had a thought. Let's see if I can remember it since I talked myself out of it all of a sudden. And that is the fact that I want my kids to be thinking in all of this, but they're telling me that I have to do these programs. And you know, you're not, I don't think you're a program guide last I heard because programs are made. One program doesn't mean it's, it's made for whatever they think. But when I did my research studies, when I got my master's, I understood, and you've done more research than I have, formally on in in colleges but i couldn't do an action research and apply it to your classroom because that research only really applied to my kids right it didn't apply i couldn't apply it to everybody but what we're doing is we're taking these programs and we're applying it to everybody because it worked in one classroom and it goes all against the research uh, learning that you know the the research classes that i learned from about you know, you can't take this one experiment and think it applies to everybody because it's only in your class and there's so many variables. It can't apply to everybody. But they want me to to take this program, blanket it. Well, what it really tells me, and this is where I got a little irritated a second ago because it just dawned on me, that means then they don't trust me as a teacher. They've hired me to teach these kids, but when they're telling me, when they're bringing in outside programs and they're not training me up as a teacher, just a program administrator, then I don't guess they trust me as a teacher. And I'm sure we have teachers that feel that way. I could be wrong. If, if you do let us know, because I just realized maybe it's a trust thing and that's not, I don't think what we're going to talk about, but that's where my brain went. (laughs) Oh man. You know, you're, you're opening up a rabbit hole with that one. I know. So please forgive me, anybody out there not meaning to hurt anybody's feelings. It's just a thought I had about professional development and it went down that route. No, it is. I think I think it's perfectly I think it's a it's a great decision. And uh, here before we I mean, a great point that you were making the maybe that that needs to be uh, next week's episode. We need to talk about the lack of trust in educators for sure. That needs to be its own. Okay. Discussion, but there's one thing I want to say before we go, which is oh yeah, the idea of programs. So mm-hmm. you mentioned notice and note, and how you know beers and probes. They 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 openly talk about how you know it, it's been used the wrong way a lot. Um, when I was at ILA, Fonta Simpanel said the same thing. 
There you go. About guided reading, about leveling, right? They mm-hmm. spent, I mean, they talked for about an hour. I swear they spent 30 minutes debunking the myths of everything they were about to talk about. Oh my gosh. Um, which to me, it's like, you know, I, there's a piece of me that has sympathy, right? Because I'm like, I know they're great educators. They've really put in the time, but at a certain point they became a business, right? Guided hmm. reading, Fontes and Pinnell, like it, it's its own little entity. It's a business. Notice and note is, a, I mean, it's in textbooks, right? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, but Kelly Gallagher's in textbooks too. Like they're all of these people, like it's not, it's not bad that they're in textbooks. If anything, it's probably better that they're in textbooks. Right. But the problem, and this is where you kind of have the discussion of like, you know, the cost of capitalism, so to speak, is, you know, it's good for a lot of ways and it gets, it gets a lot of money flowing to the right people sometimes and the right people can really make some really good change and all of that. I have nothing against that, but when something becomes a system, it immediately starts running the risk of becoming not nuanced enough. This is I mean, we talk about programs a lot, right? Something that's designed, uh, as a, as a catch all. And it doesn't mean anything. That's, that's probably, that's like the biggest complaint with common core, is that it, it's so broad that it became almost meaningless to a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it watered down a lot of stuff. Um, and I think a lot of people are like a lot of the complaints about public education is that it's just not, it doesn't get kids to the right thing. And I can tell you, it's because a lot of these schools are pushing programs rather than quality PD. I can absolutely tell you that's the reason why so many kids can't read in America. 1000% that is at the core of the problem. Kids aren't reading. They're playing programs. They're playing. I need to get this many points for this book. They're, they're not, they're not really going into the level of literacy that needs to happen. Um, corporations are coming in and they're saying, Hey, we have the solution. Take our program. Oh, take this screener. Oh, the screener says your kids need this. Guess what? We also make the program that fixes the screener results. Isn't that amazing? We also <laughs> wrote the test that you have to take. So it, it validates us a hundred percent of the time. And we couldn't possibly be wrong or trying to make money off of you to say that your scores are low. So you have to buy the next program. Like it's, it's so it's a Ponzi scheme almost like it's really it's all so obvious for anyone who 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 tries to pay attention. But I think that districts are desperate. I think the the heaviness of accountability and in the, the political nature, especially these days of what accountability means, means schools have to it's easier to buy a program than to train teachers. Mm-hmm. It is. It's not the right thing. Um, and I, I've, I've sat with district personnel who have admitted that they've said, you know, this isn't what needs to happen. Teachers need to do this, but we got to do something today. And so they mm-hmm. buy a vocabulary program. They buy a, a program that's supposed to catch kids up, right? A digital program. Wow. It's got videos. How cool. Yeah. And then the kids beg for you to teach. Exactly. It's hilarious because that's what it's exactly know, we, what happens. That's something. They're like, Mr. Choa, is there any way we could just not watch that video and could you just teach us what it's about? It's sure. because here's the thing. Kids like we. Oh, my God. This is <laughs> this is there's so many rabbit holes. The, 
kids want authenticity. People want authenticity. I say this all the time. Mm-hmm. The, 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 your biggest boon as a human is being authentic to other people. That, that, that is what people it's want. It's what people crave. It's what kids crave. Yeah, of course they want to play video games. They're addicted to their phones. They're addicted to social media. We've talked about that, right? The, the bane of technology is real. But you know what is better? You know what kids want? They want relationships. They want people who care about them. They want people who who listen to them, that give them attention. That uh, And you can do all that through teaching. You absolutely can. It doesn't the, – the best teachers are the teachers who build relationships through content knowledge. We've said this a bunch of times. Don't spend the first week playing all of these games that have nothing to do with your content. Find ways to build relationships which inside your content. Yes, I actually had this conversation with my mom today. And <laughs> of course you did. Of course I did. My parents are teachers, so, you know, we we talk I talk shop 24/7. Uh, my husband used to say, "Pam, I'm not a teacher, so you can stop and talk about something else now." But anyway, um but the thing is is what I was talking about is just recently and it's taken me you know, because I've had a, a pretty tough year when it comes to some of the students and, you know, just trying to get them, you know, where they need to be. But anyway, it's kind of fascinating. Since we got back from spring break, there's been a few things that have occurred. But some of the comments that kids are saying to me are, is like, because you're talking about content, building relationships through content. I don't play that. I do play some, but I don't. I, I'm not one to create the game. I'm not one. We're, we we got stuff to learn. We're here learning. I'll teach you anything and everything. It doesn't matter. But um, but anyway, the kids are like, Miss Ochoa, how do you know that? I mean, and then they're like, how do you? And, and I even have a student staying after and asking me about auxiliary verbs. Because I use the word auxiliary and he's fascinated by that word. And so he wanted to stay after and talk to me about it. And so it's that's just been happening lately. And it's some of my students that have been misbehaving, if you will, at the beginning. And now all of a sudden, there's like a little bit of a turn. I don't know what has happened, but I think it's through the content. All of a sudden, they feel smarter. We're doing, we just got finished doing, because our unit is all grammar for the whole, you know, what we're supposed to do, scope and sequence, because we're getting ready for the star. So I gave them a, a pretest. You know, like looks like our, you know, our high stakes testing star uh, pretest for revising and editing. But I haven't done any time. I have not been going, okay, this is going to be on the test. Okay, this is, I've not done any of that. What I've done is we've written all year. We have revised. We have peer edited. I have conferenced. Okay, I haven't done worksheets. If if it comes up, like I told you earlier, about a grammar situation and they're wanting to know about it, which when we tar- started talking about past participles and all of that, we had to bring in auxiliary verbs. And I, and I wanted to, sh- you know, that's about helping. And I talked about, you know, auxiliary and, you know, they were like, where have you heard that word before? And so it, it tied to technology and it tied to those who love uh uh uh, military and tied to military for auxiliary units and all that kind of stuff. Well, anyway, the point is, um, these kids, like I had 47% mastery in grammar on this test. And it's a supposedly a pretest. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is when you're talking about trust the process, 
But the kids are feeling smart all of a sudden. They're like, Miss Ochoa already knew how to do all that. And I mean, they were actually, and, and we even did, it wasn't just multiple choice. Like we took out the multiple choice and they had to fill it. They had to write the actual, which, what is the best sentence? And they turned yeah. around and wrote the for, sentence. For context for people. So when you say master, yeah. you're talking approaches meets masters, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. My fault. Yeah. Just so people That's understood that you're not. Yeah. Like... Cause we're, we're all over it. Yeah. So we, we divide our, our test into approaches is probably about a 60, right? And then meets is right at grade level. And then mastery is 85 and above. Right. So on a pretest, I had about 47% which is get weird. mastery, which is pretty amazing yeah. for not teaching grammar the way in isolation. Like I was told the other day that that's what we're going to have to do. And I'm like, but I don't. And I can prove it to you. We gave the pretest. My kids soared. But guess who's been writing this whole time? They've been writing and they've been doing their own work, their own papers, because those papers are important to them. They've been reading their own books and we've been going back in. Why did the author use that? But it's it's not a program. Does that make sense? I don't have a program to offer you. I have a way to enter the learning that's authentic for the students. But what's really cool is the kids are feeling smart. And now all of a sudden they're like, like the other day, like yesterday, this the student after the test goes, he made a 100 on it. And he comes back, he goes, Miss Ochoa, you're just like a good teacher because I could not have done that. You know, and I was like, no, you're you're a good student. That's what the deal is. You know, so you put it back on them. But the whole thing is, is, is that's that relationship through content. And I've noticed that it's finally I think we're we're peaking, if you will, at the right time, even though whew, it's been a struggle for some of these these babies. Well, I can't think of a better way to close out an hour and nine minute podcast. Ah, so long. <laughs> That's Bambo Job, Jacob Chastain. I don't think I said at the beginning of the podcast. This is Crafted Track, ladies and gentlemen. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to not miss anything. Leave a review if you want to tell other people that this podcast is amazing. Join us on Patreon for bonus episodes, bonus training videos, and so much more. And come back next week for another fantastic episode. Send us a question if you want us to answer it on the air. But otherwise, know that we are here. Wait, wait, wait. We're oh. not yet because oh, oh, oh. did you mention our people who support us? I did at the beginning of the podcast, but I'll did mention you? them. Where was I gonna, an hour I'm, and a half ago? <laughs> I'm going to mention them again. The people that make this podcast possible are Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, and Alyssa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah, Lori, Jen, and Matt. And they are here for you just like we are. But ladies and gentlemen, know that we are here. Are you? It's midnight. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs>